This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another amazing episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. As always, I am your host, Tia, and I have with me the amazing Brittany. How are you this morning? Hello, hello. I I wake up and I'm ready to go to bed again, but besides that, I'm pretty good. (laughs) Brittany and I spent probably about 10 minutes before this podcast talking about Star Wars, which is something that I never thought that I would really be into. Um, But apparently when Brittany gets on the choo-choo train, Tia got to get on the choo-choo train as well. But that being said, that is not what this podcast is about. (laughs) It's actually, to me, another um, one of like the best, I guess, cinematic universes, even though they aren't technically tied in with each other. Although I have heard like, rumors that you can technically like intertwine them together if you like but it is the top 10 best moments from quentin tarantino movies now i was telling this to paulie and he was like there are so many moments and i said i kind of like that though as opposed to just doing like here's the best moments from django here's the best moments from inglorious bastards it's like Let's cast a really wide net that way. There is little chance that you and I will pick the same thing. Because sometimes I feel like that happens. And then we're sitting there scrambling trying to pick another moment to round up to 10. So um, I'm pretty happy about the fact that we are going to be covering all of Quentin Tarantino's amazing films. I know there's so many. Though I'm still sad I haven't seen um, the, the, the the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Is that what um, it's called? I will say that as a big Quentin Tarantino fan, right, I know that a lot of people were disappointed with Hateful Eight. But I actually liked Hateful Eight. I went back and watched it a couple of months ago, and I sat there and was like, I don't really see why people dislike this This feels like a Quentin Tarantino movie to me um and I watched Once Upon a Time in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and um it was okay to me I know that it was literally nominated for an Oscar people loved it I will say this Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt were phenomenal in it I will not take that away Leo gave some of his best like Leo deserved to win an Oscar for that over his performance in The Revenant (laughs) Um, yeah so he was really good Brad Pitt was absolutely like a powerhouse in it and looked damn fucking fine but I like really quick you know I'll try and make this as non-spoilerish as possible it was like a movie in a movie and I was more interested in the movie that was happening in the actual movie because it was like Leonardo DiCaprio's character is kind of like a washed up actor and it's him 
uh, finally getting like a role on a really big TV show. So they actually showed like those scenes a lot. And I was like more interested in that movie that or that show than I was in like the actual thing. And then it like takes place in the 70s. Right. And they are like following Sharon Tate and they're like alluding to like the Manson cult. And you thought that that was going to like play more into the film and it really didn't. It didn't feel like a lot of, uh, what are they called? Oh, bunny trails that went a lot one way and then didn't actually connect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the, like, very end, they, like, pseudo-connected, but it just was very anticlimactic for me. I will say that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood probably had, like, the biggest cast ever. Like, everyone was in it. And I apologize for the sounds of Yonkers in the background, everyone. As I was going to say, that is okay, because I have somebody that's just revving up a four-wheeler over and over and over again outside, and I'm like, Why? Why? It literally revving it. All you're doing is going, hey, neighborhood, I know it's still early, but it's time to wake up because I'm awake. Pretty much. It's like the people who are like revving their motorcycles everywhere. It's like, I get it. I get it. You own a motorcycle. But right. um, <laughs> I will say really quick for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, what you calls it, <laughs> Scoot McMary. Scoot McNary makes a very, very, very brief appearance. Like, his brief appearance could probably contend with any of John Bernthal's brief appearances. <laughs> like, oh, you blink. Oh, man. It's like you blink and then you don't see him. You're like, oh, wait, there he was. <laughs> like, oh, I, they probably got paid like a couple of thousand. They were like, oh, yeah, can you show up for like five seconds? And he's like, do I get paid? Yes. Okay. I'm there. I'm there. I, I want to say that I doubt he was probably on set for like an hour. <laughs> like He literally, his scene was like, he, he had like, I think one line and he was there. And then it was like, that was it. And I was just like, you know what? Good for you, Scoot. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I want to know how much Brad Pitt was paid for that scene in Deadpool 2 where he gets electrocuted oh, and you I- see him. For five yeah, seconds. That was so funny because I can't remember if that was like teased beforehand. Because, but I didn't know. I was totally shocked. I was like, "Is that Brad Pitt?" <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, no, he probably no. I think he did that for free. I think I saw something that like he knew Ryan Reynolds and like Ryan was talking to him and he was like, "Well, I want to be in it." Like, I don't care. Like, just give me a small thing. I just want to be in it. Like, I feel like I had read something that he did that role, like, for free. Because he just wanted to be in it for, like, two seconds. Well, I mean, he his scene was pretty good. Yeah, it was him getting electrocuted to death. Right. <laughs> well, Brad certainly had more of a role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I would say that he, I think, was his character was a little more entertaining than Leonardo DiCaprio's character. But that's like that's saying a lot just because Leo's character like did a really good tour de France type of performance as well. Um, Margot Robbie was in it. She played Sharon Tate. So there's a lot of people, like a lot of people. 
it's funny you talk about her because thinking about Harley and stuff. I have been watching clips of the Harley Quinn TV show, and oh, that does not rated E for everyone. No, so I watched the first season and I thought it was amazing. Like, it was so great just how, like, unabashed that series is with Harley. I haven't caught up to the second season, but um, spoiler alert for everyone, they made Harley and Poison Ivy canon. Oh, shit. Well, you know, it's funny because the scene I watched is from season two, and spoiler alert, um, there is, like, a regular version of Joker without the makeup on, and I don't know the whole plot between that, but Harley falls down and he reaches down to help her up, and the way she flinches so bad, I was like, oh no, baby, oh no. They definitely... Explore, like what I liked in season one I know this is off on a tangent but what I liked in season one is they like explored her being with the Joker how abusive he was how like everyone sees it like there's at some point she's in Arkham right again spoiler alert she's in Arkham and she's like Puddin is gonna come break me out and Poison Ivy's like no he isn't and like a year goes by and she and Harley's like any day now and everyone is like no he's not Harley but, like, she keeps going back to him. And even after she does, like, gain her independence and she's all, like, you know, kick-ass, I'm going to be my own villain. Um, even there's that one point where he, like, kind of, you know, schmoozes to her and she, like, breaks down. And, you know, all her friends are like, what's wrong with you? But it's like, that's so real for people who are in those toxic relationships that I thought I like really applauded the show for even going in that direction, but they never once like said like, this is a healthy relationship, you know? Uh, oh so. no. I'm going to feel things. <laughs> You're going to feel things, but uh, should we, should we get this, this, uh, this podcast underway since uh, we're just going in all different directions right now? <laughs> It's cool. This is the uh, the train wreck uh, podcast now, buddy. <laughs> the top ten train wreck moments between Tia and Brittany. I like that actually. That's, That's a good fun. one. Let's do that. <laughs> but oh. be- but before we get to our list, of course, we have to um, read. Well, I have to read off, not we. I. <laughs> um. We have a message from a friend of the podcast, and it is from our good friends at the Main Damey family. So they would like to promote their Stranger Damies podcast, which is an ongoing real play D&D podcast from the Main Damey family of podcasts. Join them every Wednesday as the Wild Stallions traverse the many traps and tribulations that Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition has to throw in their path. There's elves, weird half-dragon people, conspiracies to uncover, and more references to the 1980s than Ready Player One. Subscribe to the podcast on all podcast services by searching Stranger Damies, and make sure you follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Stranger Damies. Stranger Damies is also a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation, and you can find us at geekvibesnation.com. Now, I love their podcast. So they're this podcast family, the main Damie. 
They have Stranger Damies, but they also have They Call This a Movie, and I'm absolutely obsessed with that podcast because they just, like, review the most horrible movies ever. And it's these three guys, Anthony, Dan, and Mark, and they have insanely hilarious commentary. Brittany and I actually did a top ten with Mark uh, for the top ten moments from Snowpiercer, and that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. I like that I actually watched the movie for that one because I was like... I was like, I don't know about this movie. And you're like, dude, just watch it. And I was like, I enjoyed that way too much. Yeah, it was one of those movies that at first when I watched it, I was like, this is weird. And I was like, but I really like it. Um, And I know right now that they actually premiered the TV show. I do want to watch it, but I think I'm going to wait for all of the episodes to come out because this whole waiting week by week thing is killing me. I'm doing it with Defending Jacob and I'm doing it with Penny Dreadful City of Angels and I hate waiting week by week. So I think with Snowpiercer, I'm just going to wait for all the episodes to come out and then just binge it. So, but that's my spiel. We are doing the top 10 moments from Quentin Tarantino films. So this is up to our discretion. We're just going to have a lot of fun with it. So Brittany, start us off. I was going to say this scene is so small, but it's one of those scenes that I think about a lot when I hold up my fingers to put up three. And I think. (laughs) So we have Inglorious Bastard. I don't know why. Okay. I had this conversation with Aaron the other day about how I didn't understand how Quentin Tarantino, like, sometimes I don't know if the movie's a comedy or serious, and it has a way of being both, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you have the Michael Fassbender's character, you know, they're at the bar, they're pretending to be German, you know, and he's doing a pretty good job of it. He's with that uh, actress, too. It's been a while since I've seen this scene, but you know, they're drinking. You have the German soldier who his wife just gave birth to a son. And, you know, he's so excited about it. But, you know, Michael Fassbender's character, I think he's, like, getting himself a drink, the actress. And the guy is, like, knows who that actress is. And he's pretty obsessed with her, right? Like, everybody seems to know this actress in it. Well, when uh, Michael Fassbender's character... He's gonna says that he'll have three beers and he holds up three fingers and has his pinky and his thumb down, right? What you mm-hmm. think is a huge ordeal, right? Like I would not notice it. But apparently the German way to hold up three fingers is you put down your pinky finger and your I don't know which finger that is, the one next to your pinky, and you hold up your thumb, index, and middle finger to do three and it's crazy that the soldier even catches it so quickly that he's so drunk. But even he goes, that's not the German way you hold up three fingers. And the ensuing chaos over something as simple as holding up three fingers is absolutely nuts to me. Like, I know that seems so little, but even for me now, when I hold up three fingers, I find myself holding out the, like, thumb, like, the the German way of doing it, because I think of that scene, and I'm like, oh no, I don't want to get randomly murdered by a random Nazi for holding up the wrong fingers. But I guess it was just sad to see Michael Fassbender's character go in such a way 
you know, because we had so many characters. Also, that led into another scene that'll probably be on my next, like, not on the next one, but for later down the road. But isn't that where the girl loses her shoe? Yeah, she gets yes. shot in the leg. Mm-hmm. That's so, was pretty intense too, where she's like having to get the bullet out. So that scene was actually on my list as well, but it's okay. I have a ton I'm of more. Um, no, that scene is obvious, honestly one of the best scenes in *Inglorious Bastards*. Um, because I remember that scene. He he's uh, sitting with you know that Nazi, the one who's pretty high ranking. Um, who, you know, goes blah, blah, blah. And Michael Fassbender's character holds up the three fingers. And I notice when I go back and look at it, because they actually don't say anything in that scene about it. Michael Fassbender has no idea that he fucked up, right? But uh-huh. if you go back and look at the German actress's face, she has a look of horror on her face because she knows that he fucked up. And so the whole thing that ensues there is pretty much the Nazi, like, okay, let's drop the act. And I love that scene because then suddenly Michael Fassbender's character drops the act, stops speaking German, you know, speaks in his, like, you know, the character's supposed to be English. So in his native English, you know, accent. The the Queen's English. Or was it the King's English? Because I think they still had a king at this point. Whatever that was. Yeah, it's <laughs> the um, I love that. Uh, you know, and they're pretty much like smoking. And I think uh, I, there's this one in that whole scene. He takes a sip of the whiskey and he's like, well, if I'm about to rap on heaven's doors, then fuck it pretty much. You know, and he takes this sip and he's like, damn fine whiskey. And that is one of my favorite things. He's like. I guess there's only one thing left to say. And the guy who's on the German guy who's on their side has his gun pointed to the Nazis nuts. And he's like, say a V to say to your Nazi balls. And that's when the thing starts ensuing. <laughs> that shit was so insane. Like it's been so long since I've seen Glorious Bastards. Cause it's so hard to like, just sit down and watch because it just tears your heart apart. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's so much death. But I just, I remember that scene and just going, oh, God. Like, like I remember this is around the time, like, so when I was younger and I had heard about Inglorious Bastards, you know, the way that they sold it in the, a lot of the trailers, at least to my understanding, uh, was almost comedy-esque, right? Yeah. And so when I watched it and I was like, I'm not laughing at all. <laughs> I was I, like, this is this shit's insane. But then they throw in sa- things like Nazi balls, and you're like, the fuck? I think that's the thing with Quentin Tarantino, is he has this way to combine seriousness with all also this, like, suspended belief, pretty much. Like, there are unbelievable, like, comedy moments in it, but it's, like... It's very, like, modern, you know, postmodern error, uh, which in film is this whole, like, let's laugh at, you know, um, like, people getting shot up and blood. Like, we're in this society where stuff like that can be amusing to us, right? So I think Quentin Tarantino just does that really well. But I love that scene. Oh, that was one of the best scenes because... 
freaking you don't understand like what happened you're like where was it but then as the german actress explains later she was like he held up three fingers but germans don't hold up their fingers like that they do the thumb and so it's it's like it's such like a small notice but you're like man like it was (sighs) you have to think sometimes i think like why it gets me so much is we see these spy movies, right? Where they're mm-hmm. supposed to, like, you know, intercept, you know, all those. And you go, huh. You know, I try to think. You can make an accent, right? You can speak the language fluently. But what do you do when you don't know those small ticks, right? And right. For, for me, like, uh, it goes back to, like, um, I'm trying to remember which country it was. I think it was Cuba and Russia that the way that America found out that the Russians were working with the Cubans, I think this is correct, by the way, but it's that I think Cubans love soccer, but they saw them playing baseball or like vice versa, right? And they're like, they don't play that game. Right? They don't play that, like, when they were, like, doing, like, spying, they're like, what? And it was because the other country, like, Russia was working with them, so they were playing different sports. And I was like, that's such a small thing, right? It's such a small thing to see someone playing a different sport than what they're, you know, usually do on this base. And I was like, so to see, like, something as small as, like, three fingers, you're like, okay, you know, there's so many, like, intricacies to, like, human nature that we can pick up on shit like that. Mm, Psychology. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, first of all, I think Cuban, and correct me, anyone who's listening who is Cuban, but I believe that Cubans really enjoy baseball, if I'm not uh, mistaken. I don't know if they saw them playing soccer, which I didn't know was a Russian thing. Like, I, I'm trying to remember what Russian sport, but that they were playing the Russian sport, and they were like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> I just think that that's the beauty of Quentin Tarantino's films, is that he really like has those small, minute details, so I really love this scene. I think this is a perfect scene to start off this freaking list. I'm already excited. Um, I'm going to go with number nine, and it is from one of my favorite uh, Quentin Tarantino movies, which I haven't seen in a really long time. I will say that. It is Reservoir Dogs, which if anyone is out there who hasn't seen Reservoir Dogs, it is a classic. Um, and my scene that I'm going to do is the diner scene, the tipping scene. So in Reservoir Dogs, you know, you have all these guys who are together and they're going to pretty much, um, they're going to pull off a heist. But none of them know each other's names, right? They all get names like Mr. Pink, Mr. Brown, Mr. White. You know, they're not supposed to know each other's names. And they are supposed to associate with each other. The Like, not really associate with each other, but, you know, the leader who brings them all together, you know, they meet, you know, obviously several times so that they could all know what they're supposed to do when the big day actually comes. So one day... They're all out at a diner and they've all had like coffees and stuff. They're getting ready to, you know, leave, pay the bill. And there's about like eight of them at this point. And one of them goes, okay, like everyone put in a dollar 
or two dollars, you know, to tip the waitress. And it comes to Steve Buscemi's character, who is Mr. Pink, which I have to say, I love Steve Buscemi. I know that is probably not on anyone's like no one has uttered probably those words. I know that he's not like the most attractive guy or anything, but I think he's a great actor. I love all the roles that he's in. And I'm sorry, Steve Buscemi in Reservoir Dogs could get it from me. All right. I'm just saying. But uh. <laughs> so it's it comes time for Mr. Pink to put down money and he doesn't. And they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And he's like, I don't tip. And they're like, what do you mean you don't tip? He goes, I don't tip. He was like, what? He goes, I'm supposed to pay extra for this woman doing her job. She didn't come over that much with the, you know, coffee and everything. And they're like, and they're like, hey, these girls, you know, they work hard. They get paid pennies. He's like, oh, and that's supposed to be my problem, you know? And he was like, I don't tip. Like, it goes on this whole, like, it's a 10-minute scene of Steve Buscemi's character, Mr. Pink, explaining why he doesn't tip and it's like it's just so ridiculous and so unnecessary and at the very end like the main boss like comes back from like either the bathroom or maybe paying the bill and he's like what's going on what's everyone's problem they're like oh mr pink doesn't tip he goes you don't fucking tip he goes i just paid the bill you put down some fucking money he goes all right well just because you paid the bill i'll i'll tip he goes but in normal circumstances i wouldn't tip what's crazy is like i quentin tarantino has all these serious moments death destruction and then he throws in these random ass scenes right that go on like you said for like a solid good 10 minutes which in movie time is a lot and you go what did what and you're like plot <laughs> when it goes imagination, but no. So even having not seen Reservoir Dogs, which I feel like I should, yes, yeah, Steve, Steve Buscemi is hot in that one. I will admit that too because you've showed me this scene, and I think it's just like how like appalled everybody is with what's is is he Mr. Pink by the way? He's Mr. Pink. Doesn't he have issues? He's like, I want to be Mr. Uh, like Black or Mr. White or something. And they're like, no, he's Mr. White. And he's he has, just like so appalled. He has this bit. So that's another scene, right, where they're doing the names. And he's like, I don't want to be Mr. Pink. He's like, why can't I be like Mr. Purple? And they're like... And, I, and the guy's like, there's a Mr. Purple on another crew, you know? And he's like, well, why can't... And he was like, why can't we pick our own names? And he's like, oh, because, you know, everyone wants to be Mr. Black, you know? Like, everyone wants to be cool. Everyone wants to be Mr. Black. He's like, so I pick the names, you know? And he has a problem. He says uh, a profanity involving the F word that I won't say um, on air, you know? And that's why he doesn't want to be Mr. Pink. And they're like, pretty much like, shut the fuck up at that point. Didn't suck it up, buttercup. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, that's so funny. Like, and I'm, I'm sorry if that was like another scene for yours later on. I just like, I was thinking, I was like, doesn't he have a problem with being called Mr. Pink? But yes. uh, no, that, <laughs> that, that, that scene is so awesome though. Because I think, because I also, I think everybody's felt that once in their life. Like if you've had a really bad waitress, right? And you go, I don't want to fucking like, 
you know, blah, 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 and you go through that, that whole scenario in your head of, well, how's that my fucking problem? And I think it's like you voiced everything that sometimes people feel, but then you still tip anyways. And so for him to finally give in, and I think it shows to show, like, the control that one boss has to be like, I just paid the bill. You fucking tip and him just like still having to act like big dog about like oh well since you paid the you know like oh i don't normally though because it has to be such like a pride hurt in that moment he has to like explain like i normally wouldn't tip and i don't believe in tipping oh and the whole thing is like well what if you go get a haircut are you not going to tip them you know blah blah blah. if someone shines your car you're not going to tip them like it's this whole thing on tipping and for me as someone who was a waitress it's kind of like it's hilarious to watch but then i'd also be like you cheap mother effer that's why like uh this like a side note too when i used to work at sonic and i used to hear the girls bitch so much like i didn't get a tip you know they had such a big order i would sit there and go we're still getting paid minimum wage like we didn't get paid like waitress stuff like the the tips were just like an extra upon an extra right and i was like could you imagine how much they would have bitched if they didn't like if they weren't being paid minimum wage, if they were getting paid like the four to five dollars, oh, it would have been mayhem. I mean, I worked at a bakery and I was making minimum wage, but I still wanted my tips. <laughs> uh, uh, that helped. Uh, <laughs> tips always help. That's the one thing that I miss from working in that sort in like the food industry are the tips. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> It, it was great until your boss took away the tip jar, huh? Well, Different story, but yeah. People still gave me tips. I just put them in my pocket at that point. But um, <laughs> I don't care. Uh, but yeah, so my number nine is the tipping scene. Just because to me, Reservoir Dogs is still one of the best uh, movies in Quentin Tarantino's uh, library. And I do actually have another scene from reservoir dogs on my list so we'll be talking about reservoir dogs in this in this list so let's move on Brittany, what's your number eight i'm like looking at my list going man you know you have so many good ones and you're like i don't know if i want to do that one and you know what i'm gonna go ahead and go with it i want to go with king schultz intro in django yeah which i feel like i'm gonna have so much django but Keep in mind, everybody's been obsessed with Django Unchained, right? Like, mm-hmm. since it came out. Like, everybody's one like, of, oh my god, that movie. One of Quentin's best movies. Well, I, you know, like, and Tia knows this, but I hadn't, I hadn't seen it until, like, what? Like, a week ago? Like, less yeah. than a week ago? I watched it for the first time because, you know, being quarantined until Monday, I was like, man, I need to watch something. And seeing it on Netflix. But so that whole opening scene is good. Because not only is it King Schultz intro, but it's part of Django's intro too. And I think it's set up so well that where I didn't know what to expect. Like you already have that sense of foreboding, right? That comes with anything that does with slavery. And to see them walking and you can tell that their feet are bleeding. And you have the two men up on the horse. 
and you can tell they have the utter lack of respect. And you sit there and you go, man, this is going to be like a really depressing ass movie. And then you see freaking King Schultz, right? In his little uh, tooth wiggling uh, carriage, right? right? And you're like, okay. And even like you got the slaves and the slave drivers, like both like looking at the freaking carriage, like, well, what the hell is that? And just because I think I didn't, I didn't know what King was at first. Like, obviously, I knew Django turns into a badass, right? But I didn't know much about Schultz himself, Dr. Schultz. Uh, but I was like, okay, he's a dentist. You know, he seems like a very uh, soft-spoken German man, right? Which is so funny that the dude, like Chris, Christoph Waltz, he always plays a German, right? Or an Austrian, which is like, I guess he is, well, German, Austrian, what is he? I'll look it up. You keep talking. But uh, he... Uh, I just like his calmness and his demeanor. Like even though both of the the uh, I, what are they? Like the the two guys up on the horse. Because what would you call them? Because they were taking them to a different plantation. But uh, basically being like that, his money was no good there. Like they didn't want anything to do with him because they didn't like the way he talked. They didn't like the way he was. And to see, like, to know in that moment how different, like, that Django was so, like, had that assertiveness in him. I guess I'm, like, not making much sense. But to just see that I love Schultz, I love Django, and to see their moment when they come in together, where you have such, like, on one side of the coin is so dark and foreboding, right? Like, there's no sense of hope. And then you see this very whimsical German man pop up and go, dude, I'm going to buy your freedom. You're going to help me. But you also have the scene where, one, he killed one of the guys on the horse, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other guy, you know, he uh, kills the horse and it breaks his leg. And he's trapped underneath it. But at the end, you know, when he's making that deal with Django... You know, and he looks at the other slaves and he's like, okay, you have two options. You can either free him, you know, walk the, I think it was like 20 miles in one direction while, you know, carrying this man. Or, and this is the one I suggest, you take that rifle, kill him, and, you know, uh, be on your merry way. Or, like, I think also take his clothes. But I and think go like, north. Oh, and yeah, and go north, and he's like, oh, and that's the North Star, right? And I was like, oh, shit, you know, he's telling him to go north. Well, by the way, also in that scene, when the slaves kill that guy, right, and the fountain of blood came up, yeah. I looked at Aaron, and I went, oh, it's going to be one of those kind of movies, isn't it? I was like, oh, no. And I'm, I'm pretty sure for most of that, they had, must have had, like, it looked like someone just having a bucket of blood and just throwing it upwards. Like, I don't even know how they exploded that much blood up out of the person, but it was pretty intense to you. To be fair, it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. He loves his blood. Um, yeah, so Christoph Waltz is an Austrian-German actor who was born in Vienna, Austria. 
I love Christoph Waltz. Um, obviously, for us in America, we were introduced to him in Inglorious Bastards. So that's an amazing role. This is an amazing role. He was in the recent James Bond movie. He is in that really great Quibi show that I told you about, The Most Dangerous Game. Um, so I just love Christoph Waltz. He had, and that is where, again, Quentin Tarantino's style of suspended belief comes in right you have the intro and it's really grim and solemn you know you can feel the pain of the slaves who are being forced to walk naked by the way and i think it's probably cold because the other guys have big coats you know and shivering really bad and you could tell the frost on the ground yeah you know forced to walk to another plantation and then suddenly you have like this whimsical guy come out of nowhere with a freaking tooth that like on his carriage just like swinging back and forth and the way he talks you know is so like obviously much more educated than the slavers will call them um so they're talk english oh yeah he said he said something really proper english my dude he was saying something and it was in English and I spoke English and I was like, oh God. <laughs> um, I think also, oh, sorry, you go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say Django whenever, uh, which by the way, I remember all these years ago because I had never seen it right. And saying uh, to Django, and, 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 and somebody <laughs> says, silent. silent, motherfucker. And I was like, what? <laughs> What? But uh, now I understand. Now, now I understand. But whenever, uh, uh, like with uh, Schultz says, you know, I suggest you know you grabbing the clothes off him. That dude's like, oh, you know, don't touch his clothes, right? Which he calls him, you know, not so amazing word. And, and, like, Jenga walking over and just putting his foot down on the horse so it, like, I crushed I love that. I was, like, man, I was, like, he is, like, he is, like, angry. He is ready to roll. Like, like it was such, like, a good, like, freedom moment to be able to do that to your oppressor. Well, the best scene in that, moment there was him just shedding that dirty ass blanket over him you know just so like his shoulders like are back you know he's flinging that off and it's like you know he's going and getting his shit and everything and I just love like the intro between them you know how Schultz like goes up and he's like are you you know Django are you this is that and he's like yeah you know and so then he um, tells him he needs his help finding the Brittle Brothers, as they're called. And that, you know, he, he gets the chain off his ankle, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, that, that's so good. And remember, Schultz tosses the key to the, you know, the shackles to the other slaves, you know, so that they can free themselves. And they all are having their moments of shedding their chains. And that's why the, you know, the movie is Django Unchained, you know? So that scene, like, I could, like, in this article that I will write, you know, of, like, the friendship between Schultz and Django was just so amazing just even from the start you know and you have to remember I forget if it's actually said in the movie but 
or if like you know you kind of have this background information it's like you know during this time in america they're slaves right and but why is this guy treating you know Django like an equal you know why is he so uncomfortable around slaves you know that's kind of like quote unquote America at that point well he's German he's not American and in Europe they abolished slavery like so much before America did you know so to him it's like that is an equal you know he's so like shocked when there's all this like mistreatment towards African Americans and how, you know, people are even astonished that Django is on a horse, you know? So it's like that start just really showed you like who Schultz is and Django too, his whole story. Like to me, I was like, Django's whole story was just fabulous. It was amazing. And as, as you said, that intro was so great for both of them. Um, and for us who were probably only used to Christoph Waltz beforehand being in Inglorious Bastards, seeing him go from a racist Nazi German to a uh, nice uh, German was like, oh, look at there. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, really quick, you know, I have such an affinity for short hair. But I was going to say, he was rocking that longer hair. He was, uh, oh, compared to the course. Of course you noticed that. Of course you noticed that. Brittany and I always have an argument of what constitutes long hair. Uh, it's long-ish. Like, to me, guy hair, right? Always being around short hair. If it is, like, past your ears as a dude, it's it's... It's longer hair. It's long hair. Long hair is like shoulders. That's long dude, hair. Dude, I didn't have sh- like hair past my shoulders for years. It took years. years. Well, I'm sorry that you have slow growing hair. Hey, we, hey, hey, we can't be like Loki, right? And just pop on a fucking wig to like make that shit happen, okay? My hair's so long right now. It's ridiculous. Um, but, uh, yeah. Can you tie it on your legs? No, I can't do that yet, but it's getting there. It's getting there. Um, but yeah, I love uh, the intro to Django Unchained and meeting Schultz and Django meeting Schultz. That's just, it, he's just such a whimsical character. I love it. Uh, I'm going to get number seven and I'm going to stay within the realm of Django Unchained because it's such a small scene. But <laughs> when I rewatch, cause I rewatched it the other day when Brittany got into it, I was like, yes, finally she went uh, not went, but she actually watched this movie. Cause I went to go see it in the theaters. Right. And I was like, Oh, finally Brittany has seen it. So I'm going to rewatch it to kind of relive the moments, you know? And I absolutely, so I know that there's going to be plenty of Schultz, um, you know, moments on your list. I'm not going to take any Schultz moments, but it's, um, it's, uh, so it's when, you know, Django, it's at the very end, right? When Django goes back to Candyland so that he could, you know, retrieve his Broomhilda and, you know, uh, 
destroy pretty much all of the racist bastards that live in Candyland, you know? And they're just coming back from uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character's funeral. You know, you got the whole brigade there and whatever. And so, you know how it's like, you know how there was that one woman who was dressed really fancy and she was always with Leo, even though she... Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you have her and then you have one of, I guess, the head maids. Um, you know, there's the two women and, you know, they're walking up the stairs and Miss Laura, who's Leonardo DiCaprio's character's sister, is like, oh, can you go get me some tea or something? And they're like, yes, Miss Laura. And they're walking up the stairs. But then you see Django there and it's like, oh, God, you know, Django's back. Oh. And he's just like staying there and. I'm like ad libbing here, you know, and I'm like going, but my this is what I want to put on the scene. <laughs> They're like, what they what does he say? He goes, he was like, all the black people can leave, you know, and he tells, uh, but except Samuel Jackson's character, right? But he tells the two women, he goes, um, you know, say goodbye, Miss Laura, and and the one woman goes goodbye, Miss Laura, and then Django just like blasts her away, and it was the funniest thing to oh me. My just God. like just the sequence of it, like say goodbye, Miss Laura, goodbye, Miss Laura, <laughs> like, and I hate you know I hate her too because she also was like you know a freaking stuck up little you know african-american hating racist bitch you know i didn't like i loved it you know it was the like just the sequence of it like her getting her just doing then you know those two women being able to pretty much like run out you saw like that one woman was booking it you know i want to know what happened to them did they just keep running like you know they should have joined Django and broomhilda at least to go up north and pretty much but yeah so that little sequence it's so small but it has always stuck out to me. Just all say, I'm going to say it one more time, all right? <laughs> say goodbye, Miss Laura. <laughs> goodbye, Miss Laura. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I was talking about this scene because, okay, all in all, I didn't, let me preface this by saying I didn't like her either, right? Mm-hmm. But as one of these people in it that were awful, she was probably the least awful, right? Because she was yeah. the one that didn't want Broomhilda, like, undressed at the dinner you know, and all this stuff, but, but you're still bad. But I, but I don't she think that... the most vile deaths out of everyone. Out of really everyone. Quick, really quick, I don't think she didn't want Broomhilda undressed at the dinner table because of Broomhilda and, you know, to respect her. It was more like, ew, don't, you know, do that here at the dinner table. You know, I, I felt that it came from a very, like, snobbish stuck up uh plane you know yeah well i just said like out of everyone that was racist and awful in the movie she was probably the least but she got (laughs) the most violent hilarious death because you think about her brother right he just got shot in the heart like that's it like little little blood dribble out right and you think about like oh the guy that got blasted in the head or you know the other guy, the other brother, killed us. Like she got fucking like, like you should have put on a full harness and everything to fucking yank her back. Like no joke. 
It's still one of my favorite scenes. I'm sorry. Like, I just love, again, as I said, the sequence of it. I just think it's hilarious. And, you know, I, I just didn't like her face. So I was okay. And she was. Oh, no. I didn't like her either, especially her heart playing. I just was thought it was funny that, like, out of, like, her brother just getting a little, like, pee hole in his, like, in his heart compared to the sister who fucking just got blasted i was like okay i just think that like with her even though yes she wasn't so outlandishly say racist she wasn't you know uh she wasn't leo she wasn't you know big daddy or anything but it's like you could tell she had you could tell she has such like this elitist mentality because yeah. even when she was bringing Broomhilda to Schultz, you know, she like just the things that she was saying were very like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then I don't know if you know, what'd you say? I want to say she's definitely annoying. And I think she even was trying to suggest to Schultz that they, like, could spend time together. And then Schultz, like, slammed the door in her face. (laughs) No, that part was hilarious because you could tell, like, like, I had a full-on argument, by the way. Like, not a full-on argument, like, but a a choking argument over, uh, oh, like Leonardo character with uh, the sister, I was like, there is some weird like they're chemistry. Fucking. And, yeah, they're and he's like, he was like, no, no, they're just like very brotherly, and I was like, I have never kissed any of my siblings on the mouth like that. That's I, very. I don't have siblings, but I know that that's not right. He's like, where's my beautiful sister? And I'm like. Uh, and then he's like all close to her and he said like kiss her and I'm like no no and we never see Leonardo DiCaprio's character with anyone right you know he's unmarried um, that one girl though the fancy dressed one yeah but she was probably more of a sexual like conquest thingy you know like I I, I, there's definitely like things to say there, you know, because they kind of like touched upon something like that, even in like say 12 years a slave. But it's like, even though they are treated better in the sense of going to the fancy dinners, wearing the dresses, they're still not free. They're still never going to be the wife. They probably, you know, it's more of like a survival thing. Like she probably's like, you know, I'd rather be eating the fancy dinners and cocktail shrimp than freaking, you know, being in even Broomhilda's position, right? But in that sense, that doesn't mean that, like, Leonardo DiCaprio's character wasn't also fucking his sister. He was definitely fucking that really beautiful one, but he was also fucking his sister. No, and that's what I was saying. Like, I'm not saying, like, that was a good thing. I was just saying that, like, he isn't so obsessed with his sister that he say he's not sleeping with anyone else. But right. which I always feel like I have to like preface this by saying I'm not defending these people. I'm just like touching on parts of the story to go like further into it. Because one thing I'll say is like you can definitely tell that the 
one girl that was like had it much much better than the others was so irritable because I think she was gonna have her like go fix tea and you could tell that she's not had to do that before and she was very pissed off about it and I was like oh no like she's already like mad as hell about it (laughs) oh man yeah no that 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 could be a whole nother like discussion to explore but so that's going to be my number seven is uh, the say goodbye, Miss Laura. <laughs> but uh, Brittany, what's your number six? I'm, it's funny. Like, I know I'm going to have so many Django scenes on here, so don't judge me, okay? Okay, girl? Oh, oh, oh. I, uh, I'm going to go with the, the big daddy scene. Because <laughs> so much goes into it. And also when they're like, calling him big daddy i was like my kink but not my kink all wrapped up in a big no-no package by the way but uh which which big daddy scene his like intro on his plantation or the, the 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 white cloth scene oh not the white cloth one because i thought that was gonna be on yours but uh no, the the intro intro when they ride up, right? Which I have to lead into. I love that Django, like, because she'll said already explained to Django, like, you're going to play a part, right? And, you know, the part where he's like, oh, you're going to let me pick up my own outfit. And he's like, well, of course. And I love that Django chooses that, like, bright blue outfit that you can <laughs> obviously tell is very fancy, right? And, like, I love that like Django has such an air for the uh, theatrics but like when they pull up right and like Big Daddy's like oh I don't want him on a horse on this property which you know other words are used for that uh, but saying oh he doesn't want him on a horse and he's like not on my plantation and they're like oh well he's you know a free man and he's like I don't care well the part, like, whenever uh, Schultz brings up about the money and this Colonel Sanders looking mofo. <laughs> oh my god, he did look like that. <laughs> slowly smiles and he's like, oh, well, why didn't you? Like, okay, from being from the South, right? Like, my neck of the woods isn't like the Southern Bell, like, very, like, because uh, where's this at? Is this in, like, Georgia, I think? At this point, you know, or Alabama, I can't remember. One of the very, oh, well, why didn't you say so? Why don't you come off that horse? And, you know, very talking like teabag from freaking, uh, oh, yes, prison break. (laughs) Like, instantly, like, cool and collected, you know, very, like, went from, didn't even want a black man on a horse on his plantation to suddenly like oh treating Django you know like oh and like we talked about that one scene where she's like uh, the girl isn't quite understanding what he means by how to treat him and he's like trying to like find the words for it but I don't know that whole scene is so good because I love the flip but also getting to see Django in his outfit and so excited to play this part and so unwavering I'm telling you if I was in that situation where somebody was like I don't want you on a horse my ass would be sliding off that horse I'd be terrified as shit 
Um, so really quick, it the movie takes place in like several places. So the beginning of the movie is in Texas. Big Daddy's plantation is in Tennessee, and Leonardo DiCaprio's thing is in Mississippi. So uh, Big Daddy is Tennessee, and yes, he definitely looks like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> like that is the funniest shit. No, um, I, as you said. I love that because as he is so like, I don't give a shit if this guy is free. He does not belong on a horse in my property is disrespectful X, Y, and Z. And then finally uh, Schultz says dollar dollar bills and big daddy's like, Oh, well shit. Why didn't you just say Um, with, as you said that, like, was it that corn fried molasses, you know, chicken fried, I, it looks like the mill version of a southern bill like you know and it's you know it's funny like i just like a note on it just because i found it interesting it's so interesting to see in this point of view is uh when i had to do that big paper about like racism in the south right and like the differences a big thing was that uh, a lot of people in the south that were owning these plantations basically thought they were like basically they thought that they were descended i didn't know all this shit by the way that they thought they were like descended from uh the people that had uh basically founded england and while everybody else was like anglo-saxon heathens like you know french german descent and that they weren't as wise as them like it's a you already have like that white supremacy there right but like like double layered where they thought that they were like a better breed than like say northern people that they thought that they were all just like anglo-saxon people and so and i didn't really notice like i didn't know about that or really pinpoint it until you see someone like big daddy who speaks in that like different like aristocratic voice who thinks that he's so much better which is so funny because now that you see things turn you know it it don't exactly seem that way anymore. Well, so two things. You definitely have this case in Django Unchained where they, all of these plantation owners certainly have this false image of themselves where they are a higher class than they actually are. Because as you said, you have Big Daddy who has this massive plantation and speaks very, you know... At, aristocratically for uh lack of better words but then you have say someone like um leonardo dicaprio's character who insists insists on being called monsieur candy and when schultz says and when schultz says something in french like oh well don't don't speak in french he can't he can't speak french you'll insult him and it's like so he he wants the illusion because you know, in his mind, perhaps, you know, being French is very, you know, sophisticated, but he doesn't actually know French. It's, you know, it's like, it's very, like, putting gold on a turd, pretty much, you know? It's still a turd, but you just put gold on it. But uh, I do like in that scene, Django, I think Django did it, like, that blue suit, because it's like, you know, first of all, he gets the choice of picking out his own clothes, which is such, like, a minute, but, like, really powerful scene as well. Um, Because I always felt like, you know, 
to me, Schultz was never like giving permission to Django to do things. It wasn't like, you know, Schultz was like, here, I give you permission. It's like, he was pretty much like taking away the layers of oppression to show Django, like you're your own person. Like you do whatever you want. Um, and I think that Django just wanted that to make like the loudest statement possible. Not only is Django a black person on a horse going into a slave owner's plantation, he is wearing the brightest blue suit ever. You know, he doesn't wear something like that throughout the movie. You know, it's that one scene because I think that was his scene to show like, yeah, mother effer, like deal with it. Um, and I, and I know you want to say something, but really quick. I certainly love, though, when that one girl is like, wait, so you purposely dressed this way? <laughs> right, right. You know, what, what I liked about that scene, like, with him getting, like, the outfit is, one, he says, you know, oh, you're going to let me pick my own outfit. And he's like, well, of course, you know, blah, blah, blah. That outfit had to cost out the ass, by the way. You think about, like, back then and, like, the quality of it and how roughly it was. Like, that was his way of being, like, you know, like, and also good on Schultz to not be, like, you know, oh, you know, it has to be within a certain price range. It has to be, like, this. He's, like, no, it's, like, basically, like, hey, do what you do you, broski. You do you. And it, it was nice that it wasn't, like, one better than the other it was basically like schultz giving him his independence to be like hey you know bro we're equals just pick your shit just pick your shit well yeah i don't know i just felt like schultz to him it was like a no-brainer you know yeah um but i just like that i love the the big daddy plantation scene just because you're like what you know, I'm from the north, which it's like, come on, South, get some factories down there. You wouldn't need all these slaves, you know. But, um, you know, there's people obviously out there who I think just want to feel superior to others. Because, you know, to me, it's like I was talking to Polly about it and I was like, I just don't understand any of this, you know, like treating another human being like that. They're a human being, you know, but to them, they weren't right. Um, and you know, for us who live in the North, you know, New York and stuff, prior to meeting you, that was our mindset of the South. Like, it's like, oh, oh look, big plantation owners. Like, I remember really quick, there was this one time where uh, my mom and I were watching, like, Four Weddings on TLC. And this one girl was from Tennessee or one of those, you know. And her freaking theme of her wedding was cotton. And I was like, of course this motherfucker's theme is cotton. Like, are you kidding me? She was like, I just love cotton, you know. It's like, you know, I just feel like there was, like, undertones there, right? Uh, or we one time watched this show where it's like, uh, who do you think you are? You know, the show where they, like, go into celebrities' paths and they try and find, like, you know, their ancestors and everything. And there's oh, that one, and there's that one, what is she, like, a country singer? She's also acted Reva or something. 
And, you know, they, like, looked in her history, and I guess she didn't, like, know who, like, maybe her great-great-great-great-grandparents were on, like, either side. And they revealed that, like, one of them were slave owners. And she was like, oh, my God. And, again, my mom and I were like, you from the South, lady? Of course your ancestors were slave owners. (laughs) Like, don't be so shocked. (laughs) You know, it's crazy because, you know... Having grown up, you know, it's like that was not at all a way I was raised. You know, it very is like that that dark that dark history, right, of a place that you're raised. Well, you know, it was one thing that I didn't really, I, you know, to me, I was like, oh, the southern states, yeah, you know, they have such a history with it, but not quite seeing the history of Arkansas with it. But like, what what's terrifying is one. You know, when I was looking for uh, a wedding venue, this lady was like, oh, yeah, this used to be a plantation. You know, it's probably still haunted by the ghost of this one guy. And I was like, oh, hell no. Hell no. I was like, okay, that's terrifying. Goodbye, right? Mm -hmm. Well, then, like, there is is a... uh, Oh, a courthouse, right? That's said to be haunted. Because it was a white woman had claimed that a black man had done something to her and they lynched him outside of the courthouse. And of course, you know, the lady was lying. But like just hearing those parts of history and going, man, it's not so in your face. But when you look back in the past and go, oh, yeah, a lot of terrible shit happened. It's just like kind of tucked out of view. Well, yeah, I mean, like, the history, you know, when you look deeper into it, it's just so appalling. Um, And as someone who, you know, like, I live in New York. It's such a melting pot, right? And especially the areas I live in. I don't live in Upper Westchester. I don't live in, like, you know, Upper New York or something like that. I very much live in, you know... West, lower Westchester, New York, you know, there's a lot of people of different races, which I think is amazing. It definitely makes you more cultured to know, like, different people. Um, but it's just, like, coming from someone living like that, it's just, like, I could never imagine, like, a life where you treated people less than because they were, like, a different race than you, and especially, like, to the level that you see in like this movie you see in history it's like oh my god it's just like thank god we're past that because you know obviously there's a shit ton of racist people still out there i don't think that you could ever get rid of racist people but the fact that like slaves were even a thing just is like mind-boggling so django and chain certainly i think you know i'm not a person of color or anything like that i'm not an african-american so but to me, it was just so great seeing someone who was a former slave in the movie, like, gain such independence and, like, kick a lot of ass. And as he even said, he was like, oh, get paid to kill a bunch of white people? Psh, where do I sign up? Uh, so right. I love that. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I love that. Like, I, I, I uh, like the only thing I'll say on it is, like, I, I didn't see it in theater, but my mom saw it in theater, and she always said that she's like, everybody was fucking cheering throughout the movie. Like, she said it was loud. You know what? Good, because that was like, even for me as a white woman, um, uh, that shit felt so good, even watching it. So, yeah. 
I love your number six. And as I said, I think Django Unchained is one of Quentin Tarantino's best movies. So I'm going to get number five. Let's see. Uh, I like the drawn out. Uh, well, because it's like, you said you're going to have a lot of Schultz. So I'm like, is this Inglorious Bastard uh, scene going to be on your list? I've gotten all my Schultz out. Okay, so I'm going to pick... I have, like, a long list here that I'm like, god damn it. All right, so I'm going to do actually something from The Hateful Eight. I was trying to, like, get in one from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just to show that I don't, like, hate it that much. But I'm like, I can't think of any scenes right now. (laughs) Uh, Maybe in the honorable (laughs) mentions. But so... My scene in The Hateful Eight, I'm, like, trying to write it down. Because I always, like, write down those things, right? So I'm, like, trying to, like, write it really quick. Hang on. Sorry, everyone. In suspense. So um, I don't remember his character's name. But Samuel Jackson in The Hateful Eight. (laughs) When you find out that he killed that one, like, what is the old guy? Like, his, like a former colonel from for like the confederacy yeah. or something and you fi- and you and you find out that not only did samuel jackson's character kill that guy's son but he made him like suck his dick too. <laughs> i don't know why when that happened i was like I can't believe that i'm watching this right now <laughs> like i remember i was like wait he really did that <laughs> um, because you could tell like there was such a thing with that old guy that you know he obviously was like a former head honcho in the confederate army so he already didn't like Samuel Jackson because of the color of his skin but also because Samuel Jackson's character was a big deal in the civil war you know he killed a lot of people he did a lot of things so he already was kind of looked at funny by a lot of people in the movie and for him to just be so like hey old man motherfucker and 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 walton goggins is in that movie as well i remember he's like you He's like, you be respectful of him, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, let me talk about how I killed your son and made him go down on me before I killed him and made him trek in the snow naked. And I'm like, oh, wow, you really went in on this. So I love that scene. It's so small. Like, so, like, where you're just like, oh, fuck. Like, this is bad. I know so I just really like that scene again I know that it's so minute and so tiny but the reveal of it and how you know Samuel L. Jackson's character is just like you know what fuck it I'm going to tell you who I am even though it's probably going to cause tension within the cabin that we're all stuck in uh but yeah so I really like that scene what do you think Brittany I was going to say, that movie was, like, let me start with how the movie was as a whole, which I need to rewatch it, because there is a guy that looks like Christoph Waltz in it, but I really liked his personality in it, even though yeah. it turns out to be, like, evil, uh, but uh, that movie was intense, like, okay, tell me you did not feel sorry for the girl at first getting, like, constantly the shit beat out of her. 
the entire movie, I was like, golly, I was like, that's a lot. And then you realize, you know, she's pretty evil herself, so I don't quite feel as bad. But that movie was intense. Like, it was one thing after another. And I love movies like that, like, where they all, because it all takes place in the cabin, right? Like, yeah. most of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I love it when they do that with movies, because I feel like there's not so much feeler. Like, you can't just, oh, have a ten minute, like, like, sorry, like a Lord of the Rings moment of, like, walking and <laughs> nothing happening. But uh, you, it's, like, constantly something. And you get to know so much more about these characters as you go, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, that scene, when it happened, like, it's hilarious in a way. But, God, it made me so, like, sickly uncomfortable. Like, you know how I get when I feel trapped and I just want to, like, leave? That whole entire scene of, like, the the slow realization on the, the colonel or the general's face, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, this slow, like, disgust. And, like, fucking, like, Samuel L. Jackson just going fucking in, in, like, like, just, like, so descriptive and disgusting. I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. I'm out of here to you. He was laughing so maniacally. And it was so great. As you said, I like the fact that the majority of the film took place in one like space because that already causes tension and you could feel that throughout the movie and i know the guy that you said uh because he could very well have been played by christoph waltz like i was surprised that he wasn't because it just would have been hilarious but that guy um i don't know the actor's name but he played a key part in reservoir dogs as well so um, yeah, that actor has also been in a few Quentin Tarantino movies. But yeah, as you said, like, he's just so gleeful, like Samuel Jackson, so gleeful while describing the horrific uh, torture that he put this one guy's son through. But I, I was just, I was laughing. Like, I know I should, that's the thing. It's like, I laugh through so much of Quentin Tarantino's movies that are probably not like laugh worthy scenes, but the way that he just presents them. It's just hilarious to me. I'm like, this is insane. Like, yeah. it forces you to laugh at uncomfortable scenes that you mm-hmm. shouldn't, like, quite find so funny. But, like, one thing that gets me really quick. Like, this is, like, my little ode to uh, Samuel L. Jack's... Oh, no, I have, like, hiccups. So give me, like, one second if I sound weird. I think they're gone. Um but by the way, Samuel L. Jackson is such a freaking badass that I didn't realize really quick because I've been on such a Star Wars thing. There was no purple lightsabers before Samuel L. Jackson. He literally said, I want a purple lightsaber. And George Lucas went, okay. <laughs> and they wrote it in. They wrote it in, Tia, that apparently, like, a purple lightsaber means, like, that you've tapped slightly into the, the dark side, right? Like, yeah. like that you have that little bit of influence. And that BMF is carved on the side of his lightsaber, because I was getting all these factoids while playing the Star Wars game, for bad motherfucker is on that <laughs> lightsaber. And that... Samuel L. Jackson kept the lightsaber and likes to show it off when he goes to Star Wars convention shit. 
<laughs> like Star Wars a bit. What kind of shit is that? What kind of shit is Samuel L. Jackson? So, and like his stare scares the absolute shit out of me. Can we talk about that? Like, have you seen those gifts of him from that one movie, right? Where he plays like an evil character and the fucking stare on the porch? He strikes fear into me. He has been in everything, like Star Wars, Marvel, this, that, this. Like, he has just been in everything. He was in the Die Hard movies. Like, he is such a staple in modern-day cinema that, like, I, I I think, like, his filmography must have, like, 300, like, movies in it. I'm pretty sure. I don't know how he gets the time for it, but he does. But, yeah. Um... (laughs) Fucking Samuel Jackson, but no. Um, so that's going to be my number five is the dick sucking scene in Hateful Eight. Uh, Brittany, what is your number four? Oh, I don't know how to like follow that up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm gonna go with. Uh, with the shoe scene from Inglorious Bastards, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to help me out here because I love the scene, but like I said, you know, it's been so long since I've seen it in its entirety. But, you know, we talked about how the, which I think, was she a French actress, I think? Because that was like the big deal with her playing, like, it was like they considered her a traitor. Or like she was Austrian, I don't know, she wasn't quite she was German. Just- she was a German actress who was working for the English as a covert op spy okay. for the English. Okay. Well, like, sorry. Want to give you five? There we go. Hello, Toby. I'm legitimately talking to you on this podcast to our viewers, and Toby's like, "Let me step on your face, please." Like, <laughs> let me step on your whole entire face. Um, but. Uh, that scene is so good because, you know, like we said, she loses her shoe. And, and and when you look back, you can tell, like, yeah, she definitely lost that shoe, right? But, mm-hmm. is, by the way, is his name Hans Lond- Londa? Like, L-A-N-D-A. Yeah. Okay, I'm making sure I was saying that correctly. Hans Londa, where you already feel like something's bad because you have Brad Pitt with his awful Italian accent, right? <laughs> and she's like, don't worry, Germans don't speak Italian, right? Like, that's not something they really do. Because mm-hmm. you also, like, looking back with all the history should have had to do, the Germans very much looked down on the Italians. Sorry, Tia. Um, but, um... <laughs> But just looking back on it and everything, like, you know, with Brad Pitt's character having to speak, like, Italian, and it was he go Bongiorno or Grandpa? <laughs> and I was like, what? What? Which, uh, to get, as an Italian, how'd that scene feel for you, buddy? Like, how'd you like that, pronunci- that pronunciation? pronunciation? To me, I can't even pronounce it. To me, it was so hilarious because he was like, "I speak the most Italian," and as soon as he, like you know, Italian, I was like, "It's not gonna be good." And <laughs> there you have, and then you have Hans Landa like flawlessly speaking Italian, and they're like, "Bonjour," and I was like, "Yeah, it pretty much sounds like that." Pretty much sounds like anyone beginning to try to learn a language. <laughs> right, right. 
And like, and you know, and as we've seen, which I have another scene later on, that's going to be my last one, which, uh, but Hans Landa is not an idiot, right? He is so incredibly smart. What I think is so terrifying about him is that he even says himself that he doesn't care about the Nazi agenda. He just likes hunting people. And that's terrifying. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, he legitimately says, like, oh, I don't care about, you know, this whole, like, you know, this racial superiority thing that they've got going on. I don't care about that. I just like hunting people. And I don't know why that is more terrifying to me, because you know there's not, like, some twisted ideal to it there's no like rhyme reason yeah he just enjoys the hunt and that's terrifying because we even see like later on when he uh like works with the americans and stuff yeah he doesn't have much reason to do that except save his own skin right but like going back to everything else with the shoe scene is when he like has her like he's like you know, he brings her to the office and he slowly puts the shoe on the desk and she's just looking at it and he's like, oh, you know, this look, I can't remember the entire scene, but basically he's like, oh, it looks like it would fit, right? And she's like, oh, no, 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 you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, like puts her foot in his lap, right? And he's like, he wants to see if it fits and he's so calm, he's so happy and slowly slipping that shoe on, and he goes, ah, a perfect fit. And you, like, sit there, and he just fucking starts choking her. Like, instantly. Like, just instantly comes across there at her, chokes her, and I'm like, is this how she's gonna die? And he kills her that scene, right? He chokes her to mm-hmm. death. And mm-hmm. then he's just, like, back to normal, back to happy-go-lucky. But that's another scene where it's like, you would think that he would want to turn her in, right? Mm. Like, oh, you know, look, uh, you know, blah, 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 there's so much going on. No, he just wanted to kill her. And that's kind of fucking terrifying. By the way, they allude to, I don't know if this was just a fan theory, that Hans Landa does have, like, a foot thing. And that, that's kind of terrifying. Why does people with foot fetishes terrify me? I don't know because why. They're all serial killers. <laughs> I'm over here about to go, I don't want to kink shame. And Gia's like, all people with foot fetishes are serial killers. You know what? I'm going to get that tattooed on me, too. I think I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you a shirt that says people who like have a foot fetish are serial killers. There you go, Gia. No, I feel like that. All right, really quick side note. I feel like that's my thing lately, um, saying stuff, something like that. Because um, you know that show, My Strange Addiction. Yes, I've been watching that recently, and there was one where this guy was thirty-one, and him saying that he has an addiction to dating older women, but not like. 40s or 50s like 70s or 80s right and just the way that he was talking I was like this guy's a serial killer I'm like he's definitely dating these he's definitely dating these women and then killing them and keeping them in like a freezer in his basement I was like I'm convinced because he's like I date a lot of women you know I'm always and that's literally how he talked I'm 
always, you know, just online. And, oh, she has a beautiful smile. And I'm like, you're definitely, like, killing them. Like, you're definitely killing them. And you're figuring no one would notice. Like, that's been my thing. Like, I don't know. Watching that, I was like, this guy's a serial killer. I have that feeling coming from him. So, yeah. Picture for Facebook where, like, this really old man had just married this, like, much younger woman. Which you would be like, oh, that's fine. But, I mean, she was, like, early 20s. And he was, like, 90s old. Like, hella old. And she's like, I can't wait to spend the rest of his life together. Like, his life was the title. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Like, I'm sure it was doctored that way, but golly, I sat there. I was like, oh no. But yeah, Hans Landa, like, I. If he has a foot thing, I'm like, to me, I'm not even surprised here. I'm just like, yeah, he sounds about fucking scary enough to have a foot fetish. But, um, like, I don't know what it is about that scene, but I think it's like Hans Slanda has this way of being, like, so slow and scary. And that's why, like, I always have to, like, this is my thing. Django is the star of Django Unchained like no doubt but I have such an obsession with Christoph Waltz that I end up like any like show he like any movie he's in I just obsess over like I have a problem Tia please help me I'm telling you get the free trial of Quibi right because it's literally still in the 90 day free trial of Quibi watch most dangerous game it's 13 episodes long they literally are all eight minutes long okay so it's not like you have to sit down for 13 hours it's literally like one hour that you could just watch as a continuous movie he's so good in it like he was such a star like i loved liam hemsworth in it but certainly christoph waltz was the uh the 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 shining star i loved him I can't help it, Tia. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, the shoe scene was amazing. How did you feel about it, though? Yeah, I feel like... So it's funny, because we d- talked about how he said that he really doesn't have any sort of hatred towards Jewish people, that he just likes hunting, and this is kind of an excuse for him. But I also think there's that bit of German nationalism there, in that moment because it's like as you said he could have turned her in and we do see that he allowed like he knows of the bombs that are being placed in that movie theater and he allows for it to happen because it serves his best his self-interest right but he kills her regardless and i feel like there was almost that bit of you know german nationalism there because it's like she's a german actress but portrayed Germany to work with England you know so I feel like there was that bit of that in him that because he was so rageful we've never really you never really see him so angry you know and he was so angry angry yeah he was so angry and I feel like if it's a combination of this like German nationalism that he had and also maybe he liked her and he I, I don't know but that scene was terrifying. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to touch upon, like, what always terrified me on the psychology standpoint of, like, 
watching so much like like murder shit as a kid of like the true true crimes and blah 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 is they say that strangulation is one of the most intimate ways to kill someone because they like the person enjoys looking into their eyes as they like die and for him to do that to her I almost feel like there is that little bit of like yeah that fucked upness there because we've seen that you know we well we alluded to right from like mm-hmm. even the beginning scene like that the way you know he's not afraid to use a gun but there is something way different between like fully strangling someone and watching them die like that that fucked up yeah absolutely and that's how i felt with that scene i mean it was just terrifying because it's it really just goes to show you that hans was in the ultimate control of everything right that nothing could get past him he knew he like knew right away and it's like her whole hiking story just didn't hold up at all it was like almost pathetic that she thought something like that was going to you know make it past anyone let alone hans and he just like how firm he was in put your foot right here you know oh look it's a perfect fit um yeah like he's so playful yeah it was terrifying and again that like he was so good in that movie like to me inglorious bastards as a whole was just I would say, in my personal opinion, I'm sure people would disagree to some extent, but my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies are Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, and Reservoir Dogs, right? And again, Hateful Eight is Hateful Eight is great. Pulp Fiction is a classic. The Kill Bills, you know, uh, Jackie Brown, even, and you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had. It's good moments, even though I wasn't, say, the biggest fan of it. But it's like, to me, I just, I love those three movies that I just said. So, Inglorious Bastards, you know, is really like an ensemble cast to me. I felt like there really wasn't any particular person, even though, of course, you know, Brad Pitt, you could say, was a big one. But to me, I focused on everyone, you know, Um, uh, Michael Fassbender's character, freaking the whole inglorious bastards as a team the uh, shoshana right it's like there were so many who were so big in the movie that it's really an ensemble cast but yeah that scene with the german actress was like oh you knew you knew she was gonna die you're like Mm-mm, she ain't making it past this <laughs> right like you have that moment like Quentin Tarantino don't mess around. When when you think somebody's dead, they're probably dead. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I just love that scene. I love Inglorious Bastards, and I love Hans Landa. So excellent choice with your number four. I'm gonna hit the number three, and I'm going to do a Reservoir Dog scene because I feel like this is one of the best scenes, one of the most iconic scenes. It actually is also like parodied i don't know if that's a word right like there was a bob's burgers episode that like did a similar scene to this oh no i know what you're gonna say continue but i'm like oh no so it's the ear cutoff scene (laughs) so in the movie right um god i think his name is like mr brown or something i don't it's been a long time since i've seen it right so i 
don't necessarily like remember the names or even you know any of that shit but freaking so the whole thing as i said before with the whole thing with reservoir dogs it's all these people being brought in to do a heist together well the thing is is that one of the um actually the guy who in hatefully who you said could have possibly been played by christoph waltz he is an undercover cop right in this whole thing so and his name is mr orange right and mr orange is the undercover cop so the heist which should have gone perfectly goes terribly so pretty much like some of the members of the group are killed others are pretty much like scattered in the wind right like um mr pink is scattered you know blah blah blah. so you have mr blonde who is pretty much like regarded as he's like a psychopath um and he at some point captures a cop not mr orange because none of them know at this point they know that there was a mole but they don't know that it was Mr. Orange, right? But Mr. Blonde catches a uniformed cop and he's keeping him in this warehouse and he tells one of the other guys, he, the other guy who he says is actually the son of the person who brought everyone together. He's like, I'm just going to get my information out of this guy. And so the son is like, well, you know, he is a cop. Like, don't, don't do anything too crazy. You know, I, I got to figure all this out. He leaves. And that just leaves Mr. Blonde with the cop. And the cop is like, well, you know, you heard him. And Mr. Blonde just puts on this music, you know, right? This iconic music. And he's dancing, you know, and he's kind of like enjoying uh-huh. himself. And he takes out this fucking knife and he literally cuts the cop's ear off. And then afterwards, talks into it (laughs) and literally talks into the ear he was like huh what (laughs) and it's so it's so fucked up and when i say that there's a bob's burgers episode like that there's a bob's burgers episode where this there's this uh food critic who throughout the episode chaos ensues and Bob and other restaurant owners end up like in this guy's house and tying him up. But like Bob is obviously like, oh my God, what are we doing? And one of the other restaurant owners who had been pretty much like shut down to, due to this food critic's negative review is like, just let me do something to him. And they're like, fine. And he goes to give him a wet willy, but the music plays, he's dancing exactly like, you know, thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, in Reservoir Dogs, it's it's obviously much bloodier because he literally cuts the guy's ear off. And I believe he ends up setting that guy on fire, too. He's pretty fucked up in it. Um, oh, no. So yeah. I was like, I didn't watch Reservoir Dogs. And now my brain goes, oh, no. No, 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 no. There's so much in Reservoir Dogs. It's so bloody because Mr. Orange ends up getting hurt at some point and he's in like the backseat of the car and he's like, I'm dying. And freaking there's at some point where they're in the warehouse and this other guy who ended up becoming friendly with Mr. Orange, who doesn't know that he is a uh, Mr. White. That's right. Mr. White doesn't know that Mr. Orange is an undercover cop and Mr. White is essentially consoling him in 
this warehouse as Mr. Orange is dying. And Mr. White is like, I just don't understand, you know, how everything went wrong. And finally, Mr. Orange reveals that it was him. He's the mole. And all of a sudden, you just see Mr. White taking a gun to Mr. Orange's head and pulling the trigger. Well, yeah. I'm depressed. Mr. Pink, Mr. Pink, though, lives. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe good karma family came to him because he tipped the waitress to you. Maybe, like, maybe she was, like, maybe it was, like, uh, American Gods and the diner waitress was a fucking, like, what, a Hindu goddess that fucking really gave him good you. karma. But, um, yeah, so my original scene, though, sorry, is the, the cutting of the ear off. So what do you think about that, Brittany? I feel like I've seen, like, so I've, I've seen that scene play out, right? Like in other media where I go, well, I was like, well, that was disconcerting and, like, totally random. Like, I didn't need that in my life. And it is definitely one of those things that you go, I feel like that's from something, like, parroting something right because mm-hmm. i had seen that scene happen in uh bob's burger and i had seen it happen in family guy and i think something else i'm trying to remember like even a child like a children's show because apparently you know you gotta do it for the adults sometimes right yeah but but there is something so creepy about someone so gleeful about doing something to you and putting on the music and kind of dance and kind of getting into that mindset and just like the dude tied up because that dude had to be like what the fuck like one okay the music right two you're doing this weird weird dance at me oh and now you've cut my ear off okay and by the way being set on fire is one of my like biggest fears like yeah that's a pretty like you know understandable fear but like seeing it in movies where the person's caught on fire i would not be cool with it like i would probably have to skip through that scene in the movie yeah no it uh it was pretty gruesome definitely they don't like exactly show um the ear getting cut off the camera kind of pans away as you hear him scream but then like the ear is in Mr. Blonde's hand and as I said he like talks into it and to me that's like the creepiest part that he's just like huh what (laughs) you know and it's just oh man Mr. Blonde is definitely a psychopath and they kind of and they allude to that throughout the whole entire movie like even at some point when Mr. Blonde because Mr. Blonde is the only one who's, like, A, done a job for these guys before and also, like, knows them before all this. And even when he's being brought in, there's, like, a question, like, oh, why would you, like, the son asked the dad, like, why are you bringing him in? He's a fucking crazy person. And you find out it's because the last job that he was on, I think, also got botched, but not in such an extreme way. But he like didn't reveal any names and he just went to jail for like 10 years or something. So the dad is like, you know, he was like, that's one loyal person, you know, he could have had the opportunity to say names and he didn't, you know? So that's why he brought him on to this job. But it's like, Oh God, (laughs) that poor cop, like the torture that 
he has to be put through so bad. I like how Quentin Tarantino will like literally do buckets and pawn buckets of bloody scenes, but cuts away at getting the ear cut off. Okay, I see you. I see you. <laughs> well, I think more so that the whole thing was supposed to be like you. It's more terrifying you your imagination because all you hear are screams. So if you don't have that visual, it's like your mind has to come up with it itself. Know what I'm saying? It's going to be a no for me, dog. (laughs) But yeah, so that is my number three. And Brittany, I certainly want to know what your number two is. I feel like I know what it is. And it's a reason why I didn't put it on my list. Because I was like, as soon as you're like, oh, I'm done with the Schultz. And I was like, okay, then she has to be using this one scene. If you don't use it. We're going to have problems. No. <laughs> oh, please don't hurt me. Um, I was going to go with the the, uh, the 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 French scene. The very beginning scene of Inglorious Bastards. That is not like... what I thought you would use, but okay. <laughs> oh, no. Now I'm curious to know what you thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be the creme scene. Well, that is the scene. Oh, no, that's not the scene. Never mind. Different, different scene. I almost did that one. I'm glad you reminded me. I actually, I was trying to figure out my phone had auto-corrected cream to center. And I was like, what was I going to put there? And so I erased it and I didn't remember what I was going to put. So you've reminded me now that I'm going to go with the beginning scene of Inglorious Bastards because... One, that scene has been, um, so, like, it's another scene that's been parried a lot. Parodied? Parodied? I don't know how to say that correctly. Uh, with the scene, is one, you have, you know, you're alluding to the fact that from the beginning, which you kind of get the understanding, well, you know that there is a French farmer, I think he's a dairy farmer, right? who he lives a simple life. He doesn't look like he has a wife. I think it's just him and his daughters, right? Right. Lives a simple life, but he's hiding Jewish people because we know at this point that French, uh, that France has been occupied by Germany and that their Jews are starting to be hunted. And so you can tell that he's hiding like an entire family. You know, he's a good man, right? He, he's trying to do the right thing. And by hiding these people, but as Hans Landa says, you know, he's very good at hunting people. And he's heard that, you know, that a French family was able to escape. He comes there and everything, and they usher the daughters outside. Well, I think even uh, he's like, oh... But he offers him milk, right? Because it's a big thing was that he was a dairy farmer. Because it's been a while since I've seen this scene. And then doing this interaction. And you have such a sense of dread. Like, I remember being like, because remember when I originally watched this movie, I thought it was like a halfway comedy. Because I had never seen a Quentin Tarantino film. And I was like, oh, you know, I've seen some funny scenes, you know, I've seen a clip here or there, and it was something kind of humorous, and, you know, the names is Inglorious Bastards, and, you uh, you know, you always hear the Bongiorno shit, right? Mm-hmm. But that slow, like, 
when he's like, oh, do you speak English? And he's like, yes. And he's like, you know, basically like wondering if anybody else does not speak English. And he's like, no. And so they start speaking English. And just the upsetness that this Frenchman has because he doesn't want to give up these people, right? You have to think about that inner struggle at the time. But he does have his three young daughters. And he's, like, trying to think. He's, you know, Hanson is promising, you know, hey, just give them up. You know, you won't be harmed. You know, your daughters, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, the scene whenever, like, he tells the man, like, oh, you know, he calls in his daughters, right? Because he's calling in his soldiers so that these people won't be, you know, that they won't understand that people are coming in and they start shooting through through the flooring. Well, that's when, you know, you're first introduced to Shoshana, who's the only survivor. And it's so sad because when she comes out from under her house, she's covered in her family's blood. Like, that is traumatic in its own. But I always am still curious why... um, it's kind of like that fucked up huntingness from Hans Landa too. Whenever he could have shot Shoshana, I'm still like very much on that. Like everybody's always like, "Oh, she was out of his," you know, like he couldn't. But he was always like, uh, "What does he say?" He says like a way of saying goodbye, Shoshana. But like, Shoshana. Like it's so he's so creepy. And he's so creepy in the sense that he's so joyful about what he does. And I think that's what Christoph Waltz brings to all the stuff he plays in, is he's always playful, but he can be serious. And he's so good at swapping between, like, you can definitely see why Quentin Tarantino wants him always in his films. Because he's in a lot of his shit, isn't he? Like, almost all the time. But, uh... But He's actually see only been in two of Quentin's movies. I thought he was in way more because I know Quentin Tarantino is obsessed with, with I almost called him Hans Landa, but <laughs> obsessed with Christoph Waltz. But, you know, that scene, like, I still, like, I know a lot of people were like, oh, she was out of his sight. And I'm like, like it was too far. No, because you see him, like, hesitate. I think it's almost like he wanted to let her go just so he could hunt her down again. And to me, that's, like, fucking terrifying. But the setup between switching between French and English, right, was, like, terrifying. I was like, ugh. Yeah, I... He totally could have gotten her. He purposely did that so that um, to kind of like have that sense of dread because now she's always going to be running, you know. Um, what I think this is a perfect scene to pick, right? And my thing is, is that the way this movie started was so beautiful with Hans Landa coming to this French farmer's farm you know, and asking him, oh, can I have a glass of milk? You know, you're a dairy farmer. Um, And the fact that, you know, he wanted to speak, he wanted to switch from French to English. And it's like, I didn't know at first what was going on, really, until they, like, panned the camera down underneath the floorboards and you saw the family, like, oh, he's hiding them. But it's like, he, like, Hans knew the whole time. And my thing is that, there's the little details, right? If you remember, the uh, the Frenchman goes, oh, can I smoke my pipe, right? He goes, yeah. The Frenchman takes out his pipe. Then Hans Landa takes out his pipe, which is a much bigger pipe 
you know, and I feel like there was supposed to be something there, you know, like not like comparing dick sizes. Huh? Did you feel like he was overcompensating? No. See, that's the thing. I didn't think that it was supposed to be like a dick thing, right? I think it was supposed to be more of like, ha, I'm better than you. Like in all senses. Like I'm the big, bad Nazi German and my pipe is even bigger than yours. Like I felt like it was that almost. And I guess you could say then, yes, then it kind of turns into a dick measuring concept, uh, you know, contest. But I just think it's a little more poetic than that. A lot less crude. But that whole scene was so terrifying i remember seeing that for the first time my heart was like going right hans was so in control of that and he's comparing the jewish people to rats right like saying oh you know you have nothing you know against rats but they're vermin so if they come into your home you know you're going to want to exterminate them you know and all that and he's like i'm just an exterminator you know and it was just so terrifying the whole thing um yeah it was so good just like all of a sudden you're just like oh no and he's like you know saying in french oh it was so lovely to meet you hope you have a great day blah 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 and then all of a sudden all the nazis just shooting everywhere and that's so terrifying that as you said she was doused in her own family's blood just trying to run away him au revoir shoshana which makes all of that so much more terrifying in that scene that i thought you were going to do later on with the creme scene where and we won't go too much into it but just how she had to stay so uh stone-faced the whole time and again he knew who the fuck she was he was just playing with her and oh, he walks dairy right and he walks away and her just suddenly just breaking down because as regardless of how strong she is that's still the man who murdered her entire family so i love that i love shoshana in that movie i had as an honorable mention really quick um the scene where her and her her lover are getting the theater together for you know the whole thing because she's like this is my chance to finally take them down i just loved her like she too had this amazing story of oppression and overcoming it and getting back at those who have done her and her people so much harm you know you know and also what i liked about really quick in that other scene too is like you can tell that this farmer, he's a hardened man, right? He's mm-hmm. like, he, you know, he's buff. He's like, he's sitting there, you know, he's keeping his cool. But the slow tears he has, like, yeah. for the family. And I think I read with something once upon a time. And they were, like, blaming him. They're like, oh, why couldn't he do better? But it's like, what What was he, he supposed do? to do? What was he they, supposed they, to do? They, they would have killed him and his family. Too it's like they already knew and it's like you know he had already like you could say like in a way it's like it's hard to say it this way he had done his part by hiding them like you know he had went you know because he's risking his entire family's life even having them and taking care of them because you have to assume you know he has a farm he's taking care of these families that he cares about you know but what could he do at that point? Because Hans Land already knew. He was just yeah. toying with them. He wanted to hear it out of his mouth. 
Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, to me, as you said, the dread, because he wanted to do such a good thing in hiding that family, but in the end, it you know, it was what it was. The punishment for someone hiding Jewish people was death, you know? Um, and they wouldn't have just killed him. They would have killed his daughters as well. He had them to think about. It wasn't just a selfish thing. He had to think of his children, you know? And that is the tough thing behind all of this, you know, and it's, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. That part of history also, especially, um, that's just how it was. And, you know, I'm glad that we're away from that, obviously, but, uh, Quentin Tarantino did just such an amazing job with that opening of that movie. It's so freaking good. Um, another movie that you should watch and I've been pushing you a lot for it is Jojo rabbit that also tackles the whole like Nazi and Jewish thing, uh, really perfectly. And I'm also watching right, and I'm going like a shit ton off topic, but I'm also watching right now Penny Dreadful City of Angels, which has been shaping up to be a really good show. And there's this whole, and it takes place in the 1930s before World War II broke out, where the Nazis were still considered just like a political party, right? And you have like these Jewish characters in it, like this Jewish cop who's like, I'm not going to let fucking Nazis take over my goddamn city, you know? And it's like, so yeah, you have that bit of that in there as well, which is pretty cool. But anyway, Brittany, I love this scene. We are down to the number one and I'm sure plenty of people are going to be like, there are so many others, you know, obviously Pulp Fiction and Uma Thurman getting freaking adrenaline shot into her chest, you know, like that is amazing. Samuel Jackson's do you speak English motherfucker is an amazing like I know there are so many scenes we could have went through, but these were our favorite scenes and that's all that matters. So no, but <laughs> let's get <laughs> Let's go through uh, the list here really quick before we get to number one. And I'm going to try with my scribbled notes to make the best of this. So number 10 was the uh, three scene from Inglorious Bastards. Number nine was the tipping scene from Reservoir Dogs. Number eight was the intro to um, Django Unchained. Number seven was Say Goodbye, Miss Laura from Django Unchained. Uh, number six was the scene with Big Daddy in Django Unchained. Uh, number five is the dick sucking scene in Hateful Eight. Number four is the sh- you're welcome. Uh, number four is the shoe scene from Inglorious Bastards. Number three is the ear cutting off scene from Reservoir Dogs. Number two is the beginning of Inglorious Bastards and. My number one is uh, from Inglorious Bastards as well. And it is a smaller scene, I know, but also kind of a larger scene as well and is one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. I'm going to say it, right? Donnie! <laughs> Donnie! This German wants to die for his country. Oblige him! Oh! Oblige. <laughs> Uh, are you talking about the bear shoe? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She was so good. Which, by the way, quick little thing that I thought was cool is that the guy that plays, you know, like, I don't, Donnie. Donnie's his name. Because yeah. I just always know him as the bear Jew because yeah. the way that they say it's so funny. But, like, apparently a lot of these 
like movies connect and he's supposed to be like the grandfather of another character in a later movie that takes place like you know more modern day which i thought was fucking cool but like yes continue i'm just like excited no, yeah, I said that, like, someone or even Quentin had said that these movies actually do all exist within the same universe. Um, but, and really fun fact before I continue going. So the actor who plays the Bear Jew is Eli Roth. He is actually a huge name in the horror genre. He's a huge, he's directed, like, the Hostel movies, um, freaking, oh god, what's that one show with Bill Skarsgård on Netflix? It was, like, one of Netflix's first originals. Um, but anyway, he's a huge, like, name in the horror business, but apparently Adam Sandler was originally supposed to play that part, and he couldn't play it, so they got Eli Roth in there. So, but anyway... I love the bear juice scene. I feel like that would have re-helped his uh, His career, career, right? But no, I loved loved Donnie. Because the whole thing is like, you have this group of Inglorious Bastards, which for the most part is a group of Jewish Americans, even though you also have the uh, former Nazi and then an Austrian in it. But... Besides them, it's mostly a bunch of Jewish Americans who are like, they got one mission and one mission only to kill Nazis. So they overtake this uh, Nazi brigade and they're collecting scalps, which is a scene that I still can't freaking watch. Huh? I said, yum. Um, But, and then you have where, so uh, Brad Pitt's character what is it, Lieutenant Rain or something? And yeah, he, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he has this one oh, surviving German. Yeah. Oh, God. He has this one surviving German who he's saying that, you know, there's this, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. They need information point on the map, you know? And he, what does he even say? He's like, listen, you take your sauerkraut licking fingers and point on this map. And he's like, you know, uh, the Germans like, uh, you know, I would rather die than than help a Jew or something like that. And he's like, well, all right. He's like, listen, he's he says something where he's like, you know, we don't watch TV. So th- this is like uh, watching a, a baseball game for us. You know, like you, you made our day, you know, and he's like, have you heard of the guy called the bear Jew? And he was like, it's a myth. And he's like, mm-hmm. and he has that scene. <laughs> and he has that scene where, you know, he, Lieutenant Rain's like, Donnie, this German wants to die for his country. Blash him and you get Donnie coming out and he's so big right he's this big big man you know he's got all his like chest hair puffing out he's got a baseball bat he's making his way and he lifts up all these huh so he's fucking hot oh yeah no 100% that's why I'm happy Adam (laughs) Sandler didn't play it but he walks over to the German and he points with his baseball bat to all the medals on the German's uniform he's like oh what did you uh, get those for killing Jews or something and the German says something like oh for honoring my country or something like that you know and they're like look and he just beats 
this fucking guy's head in with this baseball bat. And then he gets all happy, like, oh, he knocked it out of the park, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, and like, and everyone starts clapping too. Cause it's like, again, this is like the biggest entertainment for them, the bear Jew. Um, yeah. So I, I love that scene. I love, cause first of all, I love the character. Right. I love Donnie's character. I love the whole setup to this, you know, and I love the idea of having something that the Nazis were afraid of because they even talk about it like even before that scene, like, oh, apparently there's someone they have called the bear Jew, you know, and it's like I love that there's someone that they're afraid of. Right. So um, to me, I just love the whole thing. That scene is one of my favorite uh, scenes in a Quentin Tarantino film is certainly one of my favorite scenes in Inglorious Bastards. I would say, like, I do remember that scene. It's so intense. And, like, I first, like, the, the whole Bear Jew thing is why I thought partially it was a comedy, too, because, you know, they make it sound so silly at first until you go, oh, shit, he's a big dude. He's a big dude. And I think it's especially aspiring, like, inspiring when you have, like, like, with everything that went on, and then you have, like, a Jewish person that the Nazis are so terrified of, and you're like, oh, that come up dance. But, uh, by the way, quick parallel, uh, this is gonna be, a, like, a weird hop, is, so you do have, uh, you know, Brad Pitt's character in it, right? But then you also have Brad Pitt's character in Fury, right? But then... But then, wasn't his name Don in that one? Who, by the way, I think was called, uh, they called him Big Daddy or something in it? War Daddy. <laughs> War Daddy. What's all these daddies and Brad Pitt in this fucking, like, top ten, Tia? Like, have you realized that? And Don's. You just making all the, all the thirst connections here. <laughs> you know, you know what they say? Oh, there's connections if you look for them. Well, I'm looking for them, Tia. Oh. I found them. <laughs> That's going to oh, be so good, because I don't know what I expected in that scene. And also, like, I like neat little nods to things. Because you go, oh, baseball bat. That time period, baseball was, like, the number one sport. Like, people loved baseball. So to see, like, almost, like, that connection of, like, oh, you have something that's very, like, American. Because he's, where's he from again? Isn't he from New York? Or he's, like, from, where is he from? The Bears. I think he's from Boston. Okay, yeah. And you have him come in, right? And, like you have to think about like all those neat little connections of like the time period, but also, you know, him hearing about what's going on in Germany and being like, you know what? I'm going there. Then he have like a, like a star of David ne- necklace too. Like I remember him having a necklace. Yeah. He has like, I think either the star, which, you know, is a very common thing for Jewish people to wear is the star of David <laughs> around their neck. Um, but I think he also had medals. I think he had medals. He could, he probably, you know what it was? Like, cause you know the thing about like World War II is like, you know, you had all these normal people suddenly like signing up for the war. You know, he probably was like some kid from the neighborhood who liked baseball, you know? And then suddenly, you know, they hear about the fact that Jewish people are being slaughtered in Europe and they just, and he just decided, well, fuck, I want to start fucking killing a bunch of Nazis. 
Yeah, well, should. <laughs> so uh, I, he does have the medals, and he has a necklace around his neck. It almost looks like a like a like it's like a gold tube. Are you looking it up? Yeah, like he has like a regular necklace, right? Like he has the medals, but he also has like a gold little bar. I'll send it to you. I think he's so hot. Look at him. Look at him. You're right about the medals. I I thought it was like a Star David necklace, but it's like a gold tube-like necklace. Yeah, I see that. I feel like that's probably something, but because I am not a Jewish person, I don't know. But you could probably look it up and there would be, oh my god, look at that! all that sweaty chest hair. I apologize, people who are listening to this right now. But uh, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, need drink of water, you thirsty bitch. A little, a little. So let, let's, uh, uh. <laughs> Let, really quick, let's go through some honorable men, honorable mentions. I can't even talk right now. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was my number one. And before I go to you, Brittany, I, I did have a few honorable mentions that I kind of want to throw out there really quick. Um, so I will say in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, his character at some point has like a mental breakdown and that is actually a really good uh, scene and then also at the end when Brad Pitt smokes a freaking cigarette uh, dipped in LSD and he's tripping and he has to like kill the Manson family that's a pretty like funny scene um, freaking but so I had the naming of the crew in Reservoir Dogs I had Schultz shooting um leonardo dicaprio's character in django and going i couldn't help myself remember when he was like just shake my hand and he was like he's like i won't say avida say because avida say translates into see you later but at, but because i never want to see you i will simply say goodbye um Ugh. and that was like Ugh. And I was like, just shake his fucking hand, Schultz. You even said that you didn't want to die in Chickasaw County. And there you go. You're dying in Chickasaw. I think what gets me at this scene is he was already, you can tell, like, one, from the very beginning, he didn't like slavery, right? But you see, like, you know, he was willing to, you know, quote, unquote, buy Django to get him to help him, right? He bought Mm -hmm. his freedom. But you see, like, the way, you know, he's, like, he was willing to buy uh, that one slave, right, that gets ripped apart by the dogs, and Django lets it happen because he knows, like, hey, we got to keep up this act, right? And you can tell, like, also, uh, after the Broomhilda scene, like, he's so bothered, and you can tell it's eating him up so much, and it was, like, it's, like, his friendship with Django made it so much harder to the point of not even wanting to shake that man's hand because it bothered him so badly. Yeah. But and just shake his fucking hand. We could have all been happy. We could have all been happy. I mean, like, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is, like, pissed as he was at the reveal. He was still getting a large sum of money, so he was perfectly okay with that. It's like, shake his fucking hand. I know he's this despicable character, but, you know, Schultz was just thinking about that poor man ripped apart by those dogs, you know? And I love how, like, I love how um, also Schultz schools 
um, Leo, doesn't he comes up with some book, the three right? The Three, the three Musketeers. Um, and he says something, and you know they have that little exchange, and he goes, "The writer of that book was black," you know, like pretty much like saying to him, like you hate, you know, people who look different than you so badly, but the, one of your, you know, literary like novelists who you like was written you know it was written by a black person you know and i looked it up and it literally was and i'm like this is crazy so you know that scene i of course had to like put on there and of course Django kissing his you know deadhead going oh you know my friend but really quick i'm sorry i know i'm like going a thousand miles per minute but uh freaking the big reveal in hateful eight um the freaking brad pitt and his uh companion speaking italian um and that's it so those are my honorable mentions Brittany, did you have any um i was gonna say i'll we have one we talked about the crim scene because obviously we know that he only brought up the dairy for uh shoshana like you know knowing exactly who she was and that scene is pretty terrifying also, like, the scene in Django when one, you know, uh, him and, like, Django and Schultz are making the deal, like, hey, you know, uh, you know, I'll give you your freedom if you'll help me, you know, find the Riddle Brothers. But they, sh- when he shoots the sheriff, right, and the oh, whole, like, town shows up, and you're like, how is he going to get out of this? And Django's, like, so nervous because he doesn't quite have the confidence he has later on because he's like to him he's just you know like to him he probably still feels like a slave at this point and you know whether or not it was being allowed in the bar or not and the guys it's also like remember the sheriff not the marshal and (laughs) like and like that whole scene it cracks me up uh gonna say um I'm trying to remember any other scenes, because uh, obviously I love the uh, them like trying to speak Italian and all that fun stuff. But also like I'm trying to remember what else. Oh, I don't. I can't. I, probably if I sat here, I could think. But right now, that's all I got for you, T. I used all my brain juices on you. No, it's all right. I understand. I understand. I mean, obviously, uh, Scoot McNary's uh, two-second, you know, uh, cameo in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood definitely uh, takes some some precedent there. <laughs> right, right. But, um, yeah, I think that we did a great job going through all of our favorite scenes from Quentin Tarantino films. Again, as I said, I am sure that some people are going to put others in there. You know, Pulp Fiction had a plethora of amazing scenes in it. So did all the Kill Bills, Jackie Brown, Death Proof. Like, I I get that. Quentin has had a a lot of great freaking movies and it is hard to tie down everything in simply a top 10. But we did what we like the most and that's all that freaking matters here. So, Brittany... Before we sign off, uh, let everyone know what we can expect from you, what you're doing, and all that good stuff. I was going to say, you can always find me at Twitch, 
on, on, at Twitch on Twitch, whichever way you say it, at Itty Bitty Brit. Uh, we are nearing 1,000 followers. We've been having fun and playing a lot of, uh, well, we were playing Star Wars. That's what's got me on such a Star Wars kick. It was Star Wars... Uh, uh, the Fallen Order, it was amazing. The ending reveal really had me uh, spinning there. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, you can find me at Itty Bitty Brit Zero on Twitter. And yeah, we've just been having a good time. I've been quarantined in the house till Monday. I only had the flu. Everything else came back negative. But I haven't been able to leave the house. So I'm kind of going crazy. So I've just been streaming every day. But yeah, that's where you can find me. Brittany's been going crazy after a week of uh, being indoors. Um, us in New York have been indoors since freaking March. So, hello. Um, but, yes. <laughs> you gotta think, I haven't been trapped in the house yet. I, I'm feeling what you felt the first week. Now you're now you just, you're owning it, Tia. You're just owning it. No, I'm joking. I mean, it's, it's great. I get to catch everything that I want to catch up. There's so many awesome stuff out there. Uh, then again, I, I lie because I'm like watching freaking my 600 pound life and a strange addiction and 90 day fiance. So, you know, really yeah. quality TV there. But yeah, you're, uh, filling your noggin with some great things with great things. No, seriously. Um, But everyone, please make sure that you check us out at geekvibesnation.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Vero, YouTube. All that good stuff. Um, and I will be coming out with reviews later today for both Penny Dreadful, City of Angels. And I know this much is true because Mark Ruffalo is killing it in that show. And I also have a review for Defending Jacob, which Chris Evans is killing it in that freaking show. But those are some of the things that you should be expecting. I also have recent interviews with Carrie Burnins and Jesse LaFleur from Fox's ultimate tag. And soon I hope Kanan will be posting my interview with supernaturals, Richard Spate jr. Cause that was a really fantastic interview. So thank you everyone for taking the time to listen to our top 10. Please let us know what your top 10 moments from Quentin Tarantino films are and what we should probably do next week. So Brittany, thank you. And I hope everyone has a great weekend. Oh, and happy Memorial day. Happy Memorial day. Yep. All righty guys.